Hi, I'm Amy Gamble, and welcome to Speak Up for Mental Health. We are talking about all things related to mental health and mental illness, and we will wait for a few minutes for people to log in and, and jump online with us. And we're gonna be talking about binge eating disorder, depression, and how COVID-19 has impacted my guests today. And we have a lot of things to talk about. So I'm still waiting for a few folks to jump on. And uh, remember to like, comment, invite your friends. And we will have lots of interesting discussions uh, every day of the week. All right, so let me uh, start by introducing my guest today. Uh, her name is Dr. Christina Fasonic. She is an associate professor of English at California University, where she teaches expository writing, creative nonfiction, and digital storytelling. She is the author of more than 30 books, including a 2016 memoir called The Optimistic Food Addict, Recovering from Binge Eating Disorder. Her articles and essays have appeared in academic journals, online magazines, and newspapers including the Fat Studies Review, We Lunk, and In Wheeling Magazine. She lives in Wheeling, West Virginia with her two son and two cats, and she is in West Liberty University's Hall of Fame. So congratulations on that and welcome, Christina. Hello, Amy, how are you? Doing great today. Thank you so much for joining me and having the conversation about all things related to mental health. And uh, I, what, I, what I noticed from you from the very beginning, I had a chance to read your book, and I've also heard you speak several times, and I noticed that you're just an incredibly brilliant storyteller. So I'm hoping that you can share some of your insights with us uh, today. In particular, I wanted to start by asking you, what is the pandemic? Um, how has it impacted your life personally and professionally? Because a lot of people want to know that. Yes, and I think, um, you know, those of us who um, have a history of mental illness and struggle with that, I think it's been particularly challenging. Um, I've, t I've talked to people about this a lot, and I think that uh, for me, given that some of my best sort of uh, ways of coping with depression and anxiety and uh, binge eating disorder involve being with other people, Yes. Um, that the quarantine really has um, made me reevaluate how to cope. Uh, another big way that I deal with that, with, with all of those issues, is by swimming. And our pools were closed. They're now reopened, but now they're crowded. And so I really had to think, what can I do? I can't, so, so I can't have my people. I mean, I can, I can see all of you you know, here in this Zoom space, but it's not the same as being able to sit on someone's deck and have a cup of coffee and get some hugs and all those things that um, really make me feel better. And just being in a crowd sometimes. I'm an extrovert. So I love, you know, being with other people and, and you know, talking and telling stories with other people and listening and, and so forth. So I've had to really think about, well, if I can't do those things, what can I do? Mm -hmm. And a lot of it has been, um, you know, writing because I'm a writer, um, cooking, gardening. You can see my garden. There. <laughs> I have a major deer problem. <laughs> so I have my garden on my deck this year. 
So that's been helpful. Um, But the quarantine and COVID-19, it has been incredibly difficult for me, even with those sort of new ways of coping. Um, When it first happened, I was sort of in disaster mode. You know, schools closed March 13th, so my son, who's nine, um, he started online schooling, like, right away because his school was really good at sort of, we're ready, let's do this. Um, But then, of course, that meant that my university was also closed, so he and I were Zooming at the same time, and, um, you know, I was trying to help him with his work and then also help my students get through the semester and... Um, so at first it was incredibly overwhelming. Yeah. So I just uh, jump in and say, you know, it's just a lot of things going on, right? There's so many moving targets that affect us personally and professionally. And then we were talking earlier about the balance of um, thinking too much about the future. And for those of us who have yeah. mental health conditions in particular, uh, we, many of us deal with anxiety in addition to our other conditions that we have um, that can really affect us when we start jumping into the future so much and being fearful about what's what's going to happen. Yes. And for me, um, you know, I used to struggle a lot more with anxiety than depression, but it, at some point it flipped to depression more than anxiety. And um, so it that those fears manifest themselves in, in depression. And when I'm depressed, I have, um, I'm at a higher risk for binging. And so it has been, you know, and then you, you think about hoarding food and, you know, everybody was at for a while was just like, I, I have to like fill my house with this stuff. And, you know, you, uh, think about that from the perspective of a binge eater. And it was just like, a disaster (laughs) there for a while. (laughs) So let's, let's talk a little bit about binge eating disorder, because I think when people think about eating disorders, they primarily think about anorexia and bulimia and kind of leave out binge eating disorder and the other things that can't really be categorized that we, we call non, um, not otherwise specified. Um, so you have binge eating disorder. Tell us a little bit about how you discovered that that's what was going on and your journey through that? Well, I think like most people who have this condition, um, you know, in our culture, uh, there's a lot of fat phobia and there's a lot of equating being overweight or eating too much um, with personality defects, um, you know, you must be lazy, you must uh, not care about yourself and all the, and like, it's all in your control though, because we've got the, you know, all these weight loss plans and all this stuff. So certainly, I mean, like, how can you not control your eating? Um, But, you know, I grew up, that was like the safe alternative. I watched many of my friends and even family members succumbed to drugs and alcohol. And I ended up turning to food, which can ultimately be just as deadly. I think that, um, especially, especially for anorexics, the, the death toll for people with that in that population, it's the highest of all the mental illnesses. Yeah, it's- eating disorders has the highest rate of mortality for all mental illnesses, that's true. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, so it's, it's a scary thing, but, for me, I, I remember it so well. I, I had stayed up one night, all night, I couldn't sleep, and I just kept eating and eating. And I realized 
there's there really is something going on with me and this isn't about a lack of control because i realized how could somebody who i had once dropped out of high school our high school john marshall high school okay went back repeated the year my my senior year then went on to college, then got a master's, then got a PhD. So how could a person do that and not have willpower, not have a strength, you know, an inner strength or the ability to, um, you know, stop and control and all, all those things that people claim that I don't have because I have this eating disorder. So I realized that, wait, this isn't about that at all. And so I reached out to um, this wonderful organization called the National Eating Disorders Association, NIDA, and they um, found a navigator for me, somebody who had gone through what I was going through, and that set me on the course um, to trying to, to find out more about what binge eating disorder is and how I can help myself and get help for it. That's amazing that there is a group out there like that that can help so many people I would just say for people who are watching, um, either watching live or listening on replay, uh, encouraging people that you know to get help as soon as those symptoms first start to appear. Um, part of that is being able to recognize uh, that there's actually a problem going on. One of the things that I heard you say in uh, one of your talks that you gave was about how in our culture we use body-focused words and that oftentimes they're insults and jibes. So we're a culture that's so concentrated on image that is that part of what you've struggled with? Absolutely, I mean, even early in my recovery, um, I lost a good bit of weight, I think like 70 pounds or something in the first year. Um, and because there was so much focus on that part of who I am, um, it, it actually gave me such anxiety that I relapsed because every time somebody would see me, they would be like, oh, you look fantastic. You look great. Oh my goodness. Nobody bothered to ask, are you okay? Are you all right? How's yeah. your, how's your brain? How's the inside of you? How are you feeling? Right. And it was, you know, and now I have a condition um, in my legs called lipedema, which is an adipose tissue disorder. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it causes, you know, um, masses of uh, fat tissue to stored in my legs and my hips and my thighs, um, and it can't be removed except surgically. So here I am with an eating disorder and this other condition that compounds it. And so a lot of times, you know, when people see someone that doesn't fit what they think should be the ideal body type, instead of looking at me as a whole person, um, they discount me because of my body weight or, you know, feel like it's totally acceptable to, you know, make remarks about, um, my weight having, they don't know anything about me or what I do or. Yeah. Story, truthfully, and what you have really overcome and continue to overcome on your journey as you walk through this, what we talked about was a lifelong recovery journey. Oh yes, absolutely. And I'm still in recovery. I will probably always be in recovery. There is no cure for binge eating disorder. And at one point that was significantly difficult for me to accept that there wasn't a pill I could take or a, something I could, or a wand or, you know, something right. um, where I would be cured that I would have to continue to 
you know, at first I thought fight this, but what I realized is that when I accepted it and then started building a tool set to cope with it, that it made it far more um, easier to live with, mm-hmm. you know, cause this is part of who I am. Have you noticed that in your toolkit, you talked about, you know, it's not just only about medication or therapy. It's sort of this holistic approach. Can you tell us what are some things that have helped you from a holistic standpoint, both your binge eating disorder and, and possibly depression as well? I think, um, you know, in addition to swimming, because I love it and being in the sun and being outside and being with my son, of course, any, any rainy day, metaphorically and actually speaking, um, that I can be with him is, you know, is wonderful and changes things. Um, you know, obviously diet can have an impact on that too. And I, it's hard though, when you have binge eating disorder to, I like, I can't ever go on a diet. If I go on a diet, then it becomes an obsession and and it becomes detrimental mentally. It might, you know, change the way I look on the outside, but Mm -hmm. it radically like destroys me on the inside. Um, But there are things that I avoid and things that I turn to that I know, you know, that will make me feel better. Whole foods tend to make me feel better and things like that. Um, but for me, it's about helping other people. You know, anytime that I feel like I just can't get up, I can't go on, I can't, you know, go forward. I think who needs my help is does somebody need something I have to offer them. And that could mean, you know, donating time or money to an organization. But oftentimes that just means checking on people that I love to see how they're doing, knowing that I can, you know, I can't solve their problems, but I might be able to lessen the burden of them. I noticed that for myself, one of the things that has really helped me is when I defined a sense of purpose for myself, that even when I'm struggling with bipolar depression, I can still get out of bed and push forward because helping other people ended up being a gift back to myself where it actually helped me. Did you find something similar to that? Yes. I mean, when I was first um, diagnosed with binge eating disorder, the like, I think the second thing I did after that was form an online community of people who struggle with binge eating disorder. We are now, I think, at about 12,500 members. Um, What's the name of your, is it a Facebook group? Yes, we're called Food Addiction Recovery. Nice. And we do not, um, we're, there's no diet talk. There's no before and after photos. There's no, um, you know, sharing of recipes or anything like that. It's all about support peer support as people are going through things like, can you recommend a, um, a book that would help me with this? Or here, here's, here's where I am in my headspace. What have you done when you've been here? Um, you know, people, and people would share things like these great, uh, this woman created a spinner that had like options that you could do whenever you were feeling like binging, like color, um, go for a walk, call a friend and you could spin it and then find something that you could actually to be proactive. So, um, you know, and writing books, uh, workbooks and things like that for that audience, um, helped me more than it did them maybe. (laughs) Um, but I hope that, uh, I have, uh, helped other people by sharing my story and telling it because that's the last thing people, 
I, or one of the, the hardest things that people have to deal with, I think, is when they feel like they're alone and they feel like, oh, what's wrong with me? What, you know, and then you realize, oh, there's people, look, Christina did that. She dealt with that. So, you know, yeah. That's why I believe that this speaking up for mental health is so important to have conversations with real people because we can, again, talk about facts and stats and, and go to books and read all the self-help books we want. But what resonates most, what I know that's helped me most, has been hearing the stories of other people. And in that moment, I was just watching a video this morning, um, and it just resonated listening to his story about living with bipolar disorder. It was an Emmy award-winning producer. And so that struck that nerve. So I want to ask you, if you were talking to a group of, um, we'll say college students or anyone else, uh, what advice would you give someone who might be struggling with an eating disorder? Um, well, like you said earlier, getting help immediately is essential. It's hard to ask for help, especially for an eating disorder, because there's a lot of shame involved in it. Um, but what I have learned is that if I had been able to access help, I mean, binge eating disorder wasn't even considered a, a real mental health disorder until 2013, the year I was diagnosed. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yes, compared to anorexia and bulimia, um, yep. which were put, sort of put in the, the um, diagnostic uh, manual for uh, psychologists, psychiatrists, yes. many years prior to that. Um, but uh, I think what I've learned is that if you can intercede before the, the thought patterns become behavior, become habit, um, then you can change somebody's life and have major impact um, if you can help them get help early on. Mm -hmm. When I talk to my college students and other people's college students, but I think all college students are mine, so because this is 25 years this fall that I've been teaching college. Um, awesome. <clears throat> yeah, I, t I tell them the hardest thing isn't dealing with an isolated moment or an isolated um, period of, um, you know, breakdown or something. It's that you, you have to stand up for a longer period of time in order to have healing. And what kept happening to me, and you know, parts of my life story is that every time I would stand up, then I would face trauma. Mm -hmm. So that as I was starting to heal, the pieces were coming back together again and they just got ripped apart. Mm -hmm. You know, my daughter was murdered and then my son, my older son died. He was born premature and he died a week later and then my house burned down and then, and then, and then, and then, you know, wow. so every time um, I was sort of in a good place and, and healthier. Um, and I think that's something that has to be stressed. This is a health issue right? I mean, yes, um, you're absolutely right. It's, yeah. it's, it's not, we really shouldn't be calling it mental health. We should be calling it total. It's all about our health. It is. You made it affects the, everything. You, yeah. You, and you made the point that, you know, the mental health condition affected your mental health condition affected your physical health. And now that's something else that you have to, to, to deal and cope with. So one day we'll get there where we can all just talk about health, but we're not quite there yet. No, no. And I look forward to that day because we will be healthier as a people when we make that acceptance and then focus our 
you know, legislation and policies based on this being part of health, yeah. like dental health. Why isn't dental health part of health? Right. <laughs> just, Everything. Like we, we're separating parts of our body, right? We, we, we yeah. don't uh, get checks up from the neck up. We just sort of think our brain isn't part of our body. And we, we've, we're doing better now, though. I just read an article that said that more people are seeking mental health treatment than ever. But here's the caveat to that. And Tammy Paree makes a really great point. Um, she's talking about the fact that uh, depression and anxiety, um, people might be binge eating to fill, to fill a feeling with that. And she also says that medication, the very medication that you're using to treat depression or anxiety can actually cause weight gain and then can add into this sort of cyclical thing that's happening as a result of probably what was the trauma in your life. Well, and that recently happened to me. Um, I went to um, my psychiatrist and I said, I am dealing with some major depression. And all of the tricks and tools that I've used to you know, cope with this depression in the past, they're just not working anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and he did give me a drug, he gave me Prozac, and um, at the lowest dose, it worked well, but he felt that I needed more and uh, maybe a little bit more. And what ended up happening, and of course, this was not malicious in any way on his part. He was truly trying to help me. Um, by the time I got up to 60 milligrams, which is actually the dose used to treat binge eating disorder, mm -hmm. um, as well as depression, I, was, I couldn't stay awake. I was falling asleep every day. Um, you know, on my, I couldn't even get through a work day without just feeling like, you know, I couldn't get up. And the next thing you know, I started gaining weight and I ended up gaining, uh, like 40 pounds or something in about nine months. And I had trouble though, connecting it to the higher dose because I felt better in other ways. Even though I was sleeping all the time, I felt better in other ways. So it was very confusing as to what you know, what do I do? And I was certainly didn't have any anxiety because I was half asleep all the time. Um, so we worked together and I lowered my dose and I, I got my energy back and I was able to have a restored sleep pattern and mm -hmm. things like that. But the weight is still there. And so, you know, trying to figure out now that summer's here, I'm, I am able to get outside more and things like that, which makes me feel better overall. Sure. Um, but, you know, I can't, years ago, before I realized what binge eating disorder was, I would have really beat myself up over this weight gain. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I refused to do that. Um, this was part of my treatment plan. It was, it was not successful. Um, but I learned something from it. And, um, you know, it'll come off or it won't, or part of it will or it won't. And, yeah. I think you I think you bring up a really great point and that to me has to do with acceptance of self for all of who we are mm -hmm. with our challenges or what we would consider our you know things that our society tells us are flaws when you have a mental health condition sometimes or mental illness that gets internalized as something that we did wrong when in all actuality it has nothing to do with that no more than someone who has diabetes or someone who has asthma brought that on themselves. Exactly. And I think that, you know, living with that, 
um, stigma and also seeing what it did to my grandmother. And I know you know a little bit about her story. Um, really made me want to advocate for people with mental illnesses that who needed to um, understand, I think, that they deserve to get help. They deserve to have help. Yes. Um, and and uh, they do not deserve to be judged by um, people who have no idea what their struggle is. Mm-hmm. You know, people have asked me for years, how did you keep getting up over and over again? And I said, if I knew that, I would be rich because I would, you know, I don't know. Only that, only that it seemed like I didn't have a choice mm-hmm. that, you know, it was either get up or now or never get up again. Yeah. It, it's almost a sense of shifting into a survival mode where yeah. you are adapting until you have, can have, at least in my experience, until I had more information and education and looked at my healing as holistic and really, really thought about self-care, including what were the things that I was telling myself what was I internalizing that other people were saying to me that caused so much shame? And I know you appreciate this. The, the famous author and researcher, Brene Brown, says that when you put shame into a Petri dish, it needs three things to grow. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. And when we do those things to ourselves, that really makes whatever our struggle is much more difficult. Yes. Yes. I mean, and I, I think, um, in some ways I feel grateful to, um, you know, be here in this moment now, because I think about what my grandmother endured. Um, she had undiagnosed bipolar disorder and, um, she was, uh, I don't know, in her mid to late sixties before they diagnosed her, even though she reached out for help her whole entire life. Um, I remember visiting her, um, in more than one mental health facility. Um, and they just kept saying it's her nerves. Yeah. And that was such a, I mean, it was, I am still, I still feel a lot of pain in regards to, um, how people let her down um that instead of you know thinking about what she was going through she was dismissed um i remember seeing one of her charts at the top it said hypochondriac which is an actual condition but that's not what that's not what that that medical doctor meant um and yeah. I, feel, I feel like because I, but even with the challenge of undiagnosed diagnosed and certainly untreated bipolar disorder, she still had this really remarkable life. It's uh-huh. like the funniest person I know. And she was, um, she gave me this gift I have as a storyteller that you talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I believe fully in the idea that the shortest distance between two people is a story yeah. that I, that we can recognize each other in our stories, that we can see each other's pain, but also we can see hope and possibility. Yeah. Yeah. It's never all black and white, bad or good. There's usually it's gray. It's somewhere in the the middle. It's technicolor, all those kinds of things. Um, 
one of the quotes that you had that I really loved was you said, sometimes we need someone to go into the dark and find us. Because we're, we're always so much about, we need to help ourselves, but we don't think about, sometimes it's great when people extend that olive branch, when they give us that hand to help us. Can you speak a little bit to that? Yes, and that uh, specific instance was, um, you know, I was, I had relapsed um, in my treatment of, you know, being treated for binge eating disorder. And I was pretty, I was pretty low. I was, I was in the dark and, you know, there's all kinds of metaphors that we use to talk about depression, you know, from Sylvia Plath's bell jar descending to the lights going out to being, feeling like you're in a well. Um, but mostly I think it's, it, it's a feeling of that you'll never see the light again, that there'll never be sunshine. There'll never be happiness or joy that this is a permanent condition. Uh -huh. So a friend of mine who saw, he saw this struggle, um, and literally came into the dark and said, come, come out here <laughs> with me. And, and that's really what happened. And he, when he did that, um, it helped me see myself in a different way. That's what it was really was him holding up a mirror, um, mm -hmm. to me and letting me see myself the way that he saw me, that I wasn't just a person with depression or binge eating disorder, but that I was all of these other things. And one of them is a good friend. Um, so yes, I think we have to, um, if we can, uh, sometimes we, I think whenever you're in the worst of it, you can't ask for help. It's hard to ask for help. And sometimes we, you know, if you love somebody, don't, don't let them wait or don't wait for them to ask, but go in. Sometimes you got to go in and get them. You do. Sometimes it, it's sometimes just asking a simple question of, are you okay? Just want to do a check-in. Are you okay? And then you might, you've extended again the hand that says, it's okay to have this conversation with me. I'm present and I'm listening and I'm here for you. And that's many times what people just need to hear. Um, I want to I wanna thank you so much for being uh, my guest today. You are amazing and awesome. And I love your resilience. Thank you. um, I want to leave everybody on Motivational Monday with a quote from the movie The Help by Abilene Clark. And it says, you is kind, you is smart, you is important. And whatever your challenge is, whatever your struggle is, know that you are important, that you matter and that whatever it is that you're going through, you can make it through. And Christina, you're a great testament to, to that. So again, thank you. Um, tomorrow's guest is going to be uh, Libby Gramby, and she is a mental health advocate and a board member of NAMI Greater Wheeling. So thanks all of you for, for joining in today. Um, greatly appreciate it, and we will hopefully see you all tomorrow. Take care, bye-bye. Thanks, Amy. Thanks, Christina.